This is Of Monsters and Crime, the true crime podcast you've been waiting for since the last episode, last week, no, two weeks ago. So let's get cozy and comfy, let's cuddle up and talk about murder. Let's talk about the thing that makes you feel most romantic Let's light a fire, maybe have some hot cocoa, swirl some brandy around in that glass. Uh, I've come to the realization that I might be inviting a murderer into my life eventually by doing this podcast. In fact, I may already know a murderer in that way where they're in a very like cat-like removed Dexter way sitting back and observing like oh isn't this cute and quaint well just a disclaimer don't murder me please I don't want to be murdered uh what you're doing is wrong I wish you'd stop and you do too we know we've seen the episodes where you talk about wanting to stop and not being able to so there's that um, tonight I am drinking, uh, currently wine, a Syrah. Uh, I'm almost done with it. And if I happen to finish this glass before the end of the episode, I will be switching to a strawberry lemonade truly, which are really good. Um, I swear I'm not a lush. Like I just drink when I record and usually I don't drink otherwise. I didn't drink a lot previously, but I feel like it helps me A, loosen up a little bit, and B, I think it helps me be funnier. Um, and maybe I'm only funnier to myself, but hey, whatever works, right? Um, as always, shout outs to my five gang. Uh, today is actually the fifth episode so I'm representing five gang hard today um we have been watching uh I'll start with some tv shows so we've been watching Lissy's story uh uh what's that chick's name uh fuck the redhead Julianne Moore um she's in it it's a little bit of a fucked up show. It's based on a Stephen King novel of the same name and we'll call it like a psychological horror. We've only watched a few episodes, but it's pretty good. Like I said, it's fucked up, but it's good. Um, Manifest is another one. Um, it's, it kind of has like a lost ish feeling to it. And it's about a flight that goes into like some kind of wormhole and then the passengers think that they were on a normal three-hour flight but they've been gone for five years and when they return they all have some um, kind of like supernatural power. Um, I don't remember how many episodes we've watched of that but it's pretty good. Uh, and then Dave, we just watched the whole first season of Dave. Uh, Lil Dicky is his rap name. If you've heard of him, go Google him. Earth is a fucking hilarious song. 
Uh, it's a really funny show. It's not true crime at all, but it's really fucking hilarious. So check that out. Um, and then Devs is another show that we started to watch. And we only watched one episode and still not sure what it's about, but we'll give it another couple episodes to see if it's worth continuing. Uh, movies, I don't believe any movies have been watched recently, but I'm always up for any recommendations from anybody for shows or movies. They don't have to be true crime, just uh, good, entertaining. Um, so if you have any recommendations, holla at you, girl. Uh, so tonight I'm doing the murder of Hella Crafts, aka the Woodchipper murder, aka the first episode of Forensic Files, uh, which is a show that I really like to watch over and over every episode. Whenever it plays, I'll watch it. I feel like I have a little vocal fry tonight, and I think that might be because of the wine, so I apologize. Uh, if you guys are picking up on that as well, um, it is what it is. Oh, so, uh, ultimately this was the inspiration of the film Fargo. You betcha. Don't you know? That's like right up my Midwestern alley. Um, fun fact is I grew up in the area where a lot of the movie Fargo takes place. Uh, which is not Fargo, but uh, in Minnesota. Um, I don't know if you could tell from my accent. Apparently, sometimes I have one, uh, sometimes I don't. But um, that's a fun fact about me. So let's get into this. Uh, Hella Crafts was born... Hella Lork Nielsen on July 4th, 1947. She grew up in a small village in Denmark. She's vibrant. She's outgoing. She made friends very easily. And she's super fucking smart. By the time she was a teenager, she had learned French and English. And she could understand German, Norwegian, and Swedish, which... I only know three of those. No, that's a lie. Uh, I'm not even great at English. So props to her. And uh, by the time she was 20, she was a beautiful woman. Um, if the actress Emily Watson was like an East Coast housewife, that's what she looks like. Um, so she became a Dutch stewardess. Uh, or flight attendant, air host. What's politically correct now these days? I'm really not sure and I don't want to get in trouble, but I'm going to go with flight attendant. Uh, so hopefully too many people uh, don't get upset about that or offended. Sorry if you do, not sorry if you do. Uh, so she loved discovering new places. So this is like a perfect job for her because she was so outgoing and friendly and everyone just fucking loved her, of course. Uh, then she found out that Pan America, 
aka Pan Am, was hiring. And she applied along with 200 other people for eight spaces that were available. And she got one. So basically, it's like a beauty contest. Uh, And back then, it was like hooters in the air, we'll say. So she sent to Miami for training. And on May 24th, 1989, nope, 1969, nice, she met 31-year-old Richard Crafts, who was a pilot for Eastern Airlines. Uh, so I had to Google, obviously I Googled a lot of this shit, but I wanted to get a picture of him. So like if Mr. Rogers were a dick and an insurance salesman, that's what he looks like. Uh, he's more tan and more buff and not really a friendly face. Like the warmth is gone. Um, just imagine like he's trying to sell you uh, like shitty socks or <laughs> trying to get you uh, in on this Ponzi scheme. He's a Ponzi type. So uh, fucking rip to Mr. Rogers. And I'm sorry to desecrate your beautiful name, but we need a baseline for this dude. So when he met Hella in 1969, he was already engaged to someone else, but they hooked up anyways. They maintained an on-again, off-again relationship over the next few years. Um, they fought a lot. Her friends said that they didn't like him. They're like, you can get any fucking dude and you're with this Mr. Rogers looking motherfucker. Like, you need to join uh, adult children of... I don't know, alcoholics or something, because clearly you're a chaos addict. Um, So they're together. It's a volatile relationship, and they probably shouldn't have been together. Then in 1975, Hella found out that she was pregnant. So they decided to get married. They bought a ranch house in Newtown, Connecticut, where they had their first child. And then later they had two more. So they had three children total. So Richard picks up a second job as an auxiliary police officer, which uh, it's basically like a part-time cop. Like you don't get the uh, training. No, just kidding. You don't get the like full benefits of a cop I think like maybe you don't get to carry your firearms I don't really know it's just a part-time part-time cop um so uh blah 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 uh he was kind of a dick about it though like um he bought the same police car that the uh police officers in his county like the real full-time full police officers had and uh he put like wires and shit on it uh and just would like come into the station even was when he wasn't on shift and really enforced like every fucking baby or hmm, uh fucking like uh baby baby power that he had like he just like he can he could write citations to someone but it really wasn't a ticket so he's he's like 
I'll just fucking write citations all day. So, all right, you do you, dude. Uh, Hella continued to see the world as an air stewardess, flight attendant. Um, Their relationship was rocky from the beginning, and Richard uh, was known for cheating on Hella even before they were married. And when asked why he married Hella, Richard unromantically replied, and this is a quote, Hella was pregnant at the time we were married. We knew she was pregnant. It was far too advanced for a doctor to perform an abortion, and we decided to get married. So that's like the most romantic man. Like, it's called a deep human soul connection when you get married because it's too late to get an abortion. Like, what a dream. Uh, The months leading up to her disappearance... Um, Hella had discovered phone calls to an unknown number. So she's like, he's fucking doing it again. But she kind of ignored it because of the kids. But to confirm her suspicions, she hired a private detective. So in comes former Connecticut cop Keith Mayo. Now, I've heard of his clinic and it's just amazing. Like I hear it just has all of the best mayonnaise. So he confirms that Richard not only is having an affair, but he's had one girlfriend in New Jersey that he's had for years, like a few years at least. So as Detective Mayo handed Hella photographs of the uh, affairs, like confirming it, like It corroborated her fears of infidelity, and she just wept. Um, And I hate that so much. It's so fucking mean to the other person. Like, it's so mean to pretend that you're sharing a reality with someone when you're not. Um, I think it's just so fucking shitty. Like, to trick the person into thinking about their life with you uh, is one thing, and then it turns out, like... I don't know, like, like, just tell them, like, you have to go crazy when you find out. It's just, it's one thing to have an affair, but to be posted up with another person and have a secret life and they are clueless about it. Both parties are clueless about it. It's just a nightmare. Hmm. And I'm not sure what I just said, but I think I fucked up my words. Uh... Anyways, you get the gist. You get what I'm saying? All right, cool. Um, So she filed for divorce shortly before her disappearance, and she expressed fear for her life to her friends, and they kind of believed her because she had confided in her friends, like, what a dick he was, and um, she had also appeared in public multiple times with bruises on her face. Sip. She also divulged to her lawyer that Richard had a lot of guns in the house and that he had physically abused her in the past, which just sucks. Like, it's been said so many times. Like, I've heard so many murder stories and just horror stories about women who knew that their husbands or their spouse or their significant other or whatever 
were pieces of shit and they just knew what's going to happen and uh, unfortunately they're not able to be stopped. Um, So despite the fact that Richard was cheating on Hella, she decided to obtain a no-fault divorce as opposed to uh, charging her husband with adultery. And I'm sure it was like, you know, let's not make him angry. Let's make it as easy as possible. Uh, Just trying to like slide out the door free and clear and not cause any more problems, not make this dude mad. Uh, So, but she was um, concerned about the children as well. And also what the community would think. Um, So the right date on the divorce papers was November 11th, but the papers were never served. And that's because on the 18th of November in 1986, uh, Hella Crafts landed in New York after attending a flight from Frankfurt, Germany. And she and two other stewardesses, fucking flight attendants, I don't know what the fuck to call them, so whatever. I'm just going to use all the terms. Uh, they drove to Newtown. They pulled up outside Hella's home. And she was like, oh, Richard's home. And she, like, sighed about it. And it was the last time that anybody saw her alive aside from her husband. Um, So following her disappearance, Richard gave varying fucking stories as to where Hella was. First of all, he told Hella's friends that she was on another flight um, and Hella's co-workers were immediately suspicious due to the regulations that restricted her from flying again so soon without having a proper rest period. Um, And then Richard changed his story and said that uh, she was in Denmark visiting her mother who apparently was sick um but this is a lie and that lie crumbled uh, when her mother was like uh no dude she wasn't here and i'm sure she just said it like that too like straight up no dude uh he then told concerns c- concerned friends that she was in Florida or the Canary Islands visiting with a friend. Like, which one is it? Florida or the Canary Islands? They're two, like, super different locations. And you should probably know where your wife is. Just, you know, that's just what I think. Um, So just days after her disappearance, Richard dismantled and redecorated their bedroom. He purchased a new freezer which is an odd thing to do when your wife is missing, like redecorating and buying new shit for your house. Um, and one of Hella's co-workers, Rita... Nope, not going to try to pronounce her name. We'll just call her Rita. Uh, she became increasingly worried about her friend, and she didn't believe that Richard's... Uh, she didn't believe Richard's bullshit, basically. And she ultimately reported her friend missing on the 1st of December, which was two weeks after she went missing initially. The fact that her husband had not even reported her missing kind of set off alarm bells with local law enforcement, as it should. I mean, if I, if my spouse was missing for even a day, I'd be like calling the police up and being like, look, this fucking, my fucking, my fucking dude is gone. Like, help me out here. Uh, but no, two weeks pass, um, 
they her friend reported her. So when the police question Richard, which by now is uh, he's an actual police officer with the neighboring county, he gives him a bunch of bullshit. He passes a lie detector test. So they're like, great. And they didn't even worry about it. So here comes Mr. Mayo, who got hired for this job, um, like to prove that Richard was cheating. And he was like, fuck this shit. I'm getting involved. This is bullshit. Like he was worried about his client. So he has to find evidence to convince the police to take Hella's disappearance seriously. So he finds the papers um, that were provided by Hella. He finds a receipt somehow for a chainsaw. And then he learns that the au pair tells, uh, tells him, so he, he doesn't learn this. She tells him that Richard had cut out pieces of his bedroom rug and discarded them at the local dump. So thank you, au pair. Seriously, that was some key fucking evidence. And she's definitely mandatory in this whole case. Um, so he's like, we're going to the dump. Like this guy, this private investigator with the help of um, the local trash pickup crew, they find out which dump the craft's trash would have been taken to. And he recruits some helpers. And the next several days, they search the trash at the dump. Uh, they actually do succeed in finding a portion of the rug and it's taken to the police lab led by a young forensics investigator for the state police, none other than, and uh, again, this is on the first episode of Forensic Files, Dr. Henry Lee. So this took place, uh, Forensic Files uh, aired that episode in 1996. Um and he performed a luminal test in various locations of the house, and they test positive for the presence of blood. The case was finally handed off to the state police um, because, like, obviously the local police were all buddies. And um, so the local or uh, the state police, they take the case away. They looked into his behavior now, finally since they didn't know him and they didn't give a shit about who he was or, you know, they weren't buddies, so they didn't give a shit. So they look into his behavior, they look into him. And investigators considered something uh, sinister had happened to Hella, so they zoned in on Richard, who had been acting very peculiar. In the following month, they discovered among... Among... Words are hard sometimes, you guys. Like, fuck. So among his credit card receipts, uh, they had found that he bought a new freezer, a chainsaw, and that he had rented a 2,700-pound wood chipper and a U-Haul truck shortly before Hella disappeared. And he told the rental service that he had cut down some trees at his property. So that was kind of like his excuse or whatever, his alibi. I don't know. So, uh, and just to mention, the affairs um, continued even after Hello's disappearance. And never once did he mention to these women who knew that he was married that his wife had vanished. Like, 
Nothing. Um, and then also Hella's car was found in an employee airport parking lot. So when this story finally hits the news, uh, now that people are taking this seriously, the snowplow driver, Joseph Hines, uh, thank you for your ketchup and your mustard. I appreciate it. Uh, soon he came forward to inform police that he had been, uh, he had seen Richard parked at the side of the road alongside the, um, I don't know, Lake Zora, I guess it's called, with a wood chipper in tow around about 3 a.m. And uh, this was about a day or two after Hella had disappeared. So he recalled, um, he said that he recalled the day very clearly, very vividly, as it was the first snow. And he was like, that's fucking weird. Like, out in the middle of a snowstorm, what's this dude doing with a fucking wood chipper at 3 a.m.? in the middle of a fucking snowstorm. So when he finds out that uh, dude's wife is missing, he comes forward, which like, good job, snowplow guy. Like, thank you, Mr. Plow. I'm going to call him that from now on, Mr. Fucking Plow. Uh, so the police rushed to the scene where they uncovered clumps of scattered wood chips under layers of dead leaves and among the wood chips, they found um, a lot more shit, basically. They found a human thumb, a fingertip with the nail attached that was covered in pink nail polish, 2660 numbers, 2,660 strands of blonde hair, a big toe, 69, nice, slivers of human bone and a uh, a truncated piece of human skull five droplets of human blood lacy material from underwear uh a mailing label with helicraft's name on it and a crowned tooth with a piece of jawbone attached and an anthropology expert determined that um the bone fragment belonged to a human and a forensic odontologist was able to identify the tooth as belonging to helicrafts. So in addition, they uncovered a submerged chainsaw in the Housatonic River. House, House Satanic River. That's it. We'll go with that. Uh, that's the one. The chainsaw had blonde hairs intertwined in the chain and inside the rented u-haul van they also found a clump of tissue-like material that tested positive for human blood so this guy basically is a monster and he's messy and like not good like he was a mile from his house like he's just so fucking cocky that he wouldn't get caught he just didn't care uh so real smart guy this is so, based on the information, Helicrafts was pronounced dead. Um, 50-year-old Richard was arrested when he arrived home from a Christmas ski trip with his children. Like, right after their mother goes missing. She goes missing in November, and a Christmas ski trip with the children. Like, a month and a half after their mother goes missing. It's insane. 
Um, so as the trial date loomed, the location had to be moved. Um, it was like impossible to find jurors that had not heard of the case. Basically, ever jur every juror in Danbury, 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 um, every juror in Danbury knew something about the case, and they talked about it constantly and made jokes about it frequently, um, according to one local. And it was decided, finally, that the trial would be moved to New London. And after questioning 46 prospective, 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 fuck, you guys, I just don't know words when I drink. Prospective jurors, over the course of five days, uh, 10 women, no, nope. 10 men and two women were selected. I apologize. And you know what? I'm raw dogging this episode. So I'm going to leave all this shit in for you guys to just fucking laugh at me about because fuck it. So 12 jury members, 10 men and two women. So uh, prosecutors faced a double burden because not only did they have to convince the jury that Hella was actually dead because they don't actually have a body uh, where up until this point in Connecticut, there was never a trial where there wasn't a body. Um, They also had to convince the jury that Richard was the one who killed her. Um, There was no physical body after all. And the motive, they say, Uh, was that Richard didn't want to get a divorce, of course. Um, You know, why wouldn't you kill your wife over a divorce? I mean, we do it every day. It's it's normal. They theorized that Richard had struck Hella unconscious with something blunt in their bedroom and then carried her body to the freezer where he let her freeze, um, assuming it's easier and less messy to put through the wood chipper. Gross. So fucking awful and disgusting. Um, and to think that through in those details. And also, it's your wife and the mother of your children. Like, this is the difference where you have a conscience and you don't. So the scene in Fargo, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie, but you should because it's pretty fucking good. Um, With the wood chipper, it's like, oh, just watching it, it's making me sick. Like, I don't want to think about it anymore. Like, I know in the movie it's as fake as it can be, but I still don't like thinking about it Um, because obviously it, it... like in the movie, it's fake, but it's not fake. He then took her her uh, body to the river where he's seen by Mr. Plow. And then he dismembered her body with a chainsaw and uh, fed it through the wood chipper. Uh, the police believe then that he scattered the pieces in the river and, and in the surrounding area. So during his trial... Um, The couple's housekeeper, Don Marie Thomas, that's an easy name that I can pronounce, told the courtroom that on the day of Hella's disappearance, Richard had allowed her to go home early. She also said 
how um, she had witnessed a couple have an argument just several days before the disappearance. And she also testified that Richard had removed a freezer and a uh, piece of carpet with a large black stain from their home just a couple of days after Hella disappeared. I just fucking love these witnesses with all my heart. Like, thank you guys for showing up and like speaking up about what you saw and what you know. Um, So when Don was asked about the peculiar stain, Richard told her that he had spilled kerosene on it and that he didn't want her to clean it. Uh, uh, no, uh, don't worry about cleaning this. Instead, I'll just fucking cut the carpet out. Like, who does that? So Richard was clearly, clearly unaware that kerosene does not leave a stain. In fact, uh, it would leave an odor, sure, but it would be like spilling water on the carpet. Like it, it would not, it would dry up and it wouldn't leave a stain. So the following day, the carpet was gone. And she also told the court that the freezer was working just fine when Richard decided to get rid of it. So that's odd, too. Uh, Richard Kraft's brother-in-law testified that when the uh, state police uh, divers started looking for the body, he had said, let them dive. There's no body. It's gone. Dun, dun, dun. So the freezer that apparently Richard had kept Hella's body uh, before disposing of it was never retrieved so dna was never tested from that freezer however uh also to take the stand was hella's mother elizabeth nielsen and when hella disappeared richard had told people that she was visiting her mother and uh the last she said the last time she saw her daughter was in denmark for her 80th birthday which was the 26th of july 1986 And she said she stayed for three days and I never saw her again. She told the courtroom that. And a piece of evidence was a letter that Hella had written to her mother in which she says, I told Richard I want a divorce. This letter um, also references that Richard was seemingly unhappy about the idea of a divorce. Uh, So the Southbury policeman, uh, Richard Wildman, told the courtroom that he had seen Richard on the 21st of November. He said that he had been leaving work around 4 a.m. when he saw Richard. He was uh, parked in a school parking lot um, near the police station with a U-Haul. Richard was uh, with a U-Haul and a wood chipper. Wildman knew Richard as they worked together in the police station because Richard was a cop, full-time cop by this point. Congratulations. Um, And he had said, I asked him, what the hell are you doing with the wood chipper? And he said, like, some limbs had come down around his house during the previous snowstorm and he was cleaning them up. So the chainsaw was discovered submerged in the House of Satan River. And it was entered into evidence. And the manager of the rental service, um, he was uh, the man who hired the wood chipper. Nope, didn't hire him. 
didn't hire him at all. He rented it out, uh, in fact. So he rented the wood chipper out to Richard. Fucking A, guys. Get it together. And uh, when on the stand, he told the court that when Richard returned the wood chipper, he couldn't help but notice a chainsaw inside the truck. And he said, quote, I can't be sure it's the chainsaw, but it looks like this one. Uh, the prosecution contended that Hella was terrified of her husband and that she feared for her life. And testimony from Hella's friend, Susan Lawston, said that um, she had expressed fear for her safety and from conversations and dealings she had with Richard. And she was concerned that he may harm her. So Lauston also told the court that Richard had physically abused Hella before and that he lied about his colon cancer returning as a ploy to make her not go through with the divorce. Like, I mean, if you really want to keep your wife, I guess faking cancer is the way to do it, guys. You heard it here. Hella, however, she called Richard's doctor and uh, she asked about the cancer and the doctor told her that it was untrue and that Richard was very much well, which seems like a very big HIPAA privacy breaking violation, but glad that she called and got that info. So now at the trial, a silent silence fell as Richard Crafts took the stand in his own defense, which usually doesn't happen a lot. When you have a murder trial, a lot of times the uh, defendant does not take the stand, which I guess is smart in, in their, you know, whatever they're trying to do. It's smart for them. But... Fuck, I wish more defendants would take the stand because you really, I think it should be mandatory for defendants to take the stand because why the fuck not? Like, I want to, I want this person to be fucking drilled and I want to hear what they have to say, what their excuses are, what their body language is, like how their facial expressions are like I want to know I feel like that is very that could be very important to a jury and determining whether someone is um innocent or guilty so more more people need to take the fucking stand so he did and he was dressed in a blue shirt a striped tie 50-year-old Richard, he stared towards his attorney as he answered questions about his wife. And when asked if he had used a chainsaw or a wood chipper to kill his wife, he calmly replied, no, sir, I did not. So after 100 fucking witnesses and 650 exhibits presented in a 53-day trial, the jury were sent away to make their decision. And after 17 days of deliberation, that's fucking crazy. 17 days of deliberation 
on July 15th, 1988, the judge declared a fucking mistrial. 50, like two months almost of people's time. And it was a mistrial. So uh, there was one motherfucking jury member. Sorry, I feel like I'm getting really worked up about this. Calm down. There was one jury member of the 12 who refused to vote to convict him. And that man was Mitch McConnell. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, But fucked up. So the prosecutors were like, fuck you. We're doing this again. So a, a second trial was scheduled for the following year. And this time, the prosecution was able to successfully argue that Hella had been murdered. And from the hair intertwined in the chainsaw to the blood-stained carpet inside Richard's home, the evidence against him was damning. And it only took eight hours this time to reach a unanimous verdict. Eight hours compared to 17 fucking days. That's crazy. I've done jury, tri- jury, jury trial. What the fuck is it called? Jury duty. I've done jury duty before and I found it fascinating, obviously, because I'm like interested in this shit and we only took a couple hours to deliberate. However, it wasn't a murder case, but uh, 17 days, that's ridiculous. Maybe they just wanted the free lunches and the fucking hotels. Who knows? Um, so it took them eight hours this time to reach a unanimous verdict. So three years and two days since Hella was last seen alive, the jury found that Richard was guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Phew. And at his sentencing, he says, a great deal has been said about my apparent lack of emotion. I have feelings like everyone else. Like, I don't know. That's... To me, that's like a weird psychopath thing. Like, you think you do, but do you? Like, you're not even smart enough to not do the thing that psychopaths always do, which is like, oh, I've been through a lot in this trial, where it's like, you idiot, you're just pointing back at yourself again. Um, Like, these people are so manipulating and cunning and fucking like, uh, what's the word? Nefarious, maybe? Um, but, but then they're like pretty stupid because like they don't think with empathy and uh, hubris. That's the word. They, they think they're smarter than everybody. And in their mind, there's no way they can mess up because they've already thought it all through and they know everything Uh, But he maintained his innocence and continued to say that Hella had just disappeared. At his sentencing, Richard's own fucking sister, who by then had custody of the couple's three children, she urged the judge to impose the maximum sentence. His own fucking sister. And he was sentenced to 50 years in prison. Yay! That's me clapping. Uh, so Keith Mayo, I was like, what happened to Mr. Mayo? Let's find out. So I Googled him and 
Uh, he had sent a registered letter to the police commission chairman asking for an independent investigation to why the Newtown police did not take Hella's missing persons report seriously. So he called for investigation of the conduct of the police departments, um, the uh, detective bureau, whatever. He fucking doubled down on this shit. Like, he didn't have to be involved in any of this. He didn't have to be involved in the disappearance of Hella. All he was hired to do was uh, see if Richard was cheating on Hella. He didn't have to be involved in the disappearance of her. He did not have to be involved in the misconduct of the police department but he fucking doubled down like he followed through he cared um but sadly in 1999 at 46 years old he died from injuries suffered in a car accident which is super sad like so young and uh just super sad so, Hella Craft's murder was a landmark case, and it advanced forensic science greatly. It involved um, serology, which is like a blood serum examination, uh, radiology, ballistics, hair and fiber, fiber excerpt. Ex- oh, my God. You guys. I don't know if I want to edit that part out. Uh, I'm not going to. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, let's try this again. Serology. Radiology. Ballistics. Hair and fiber experts. And FBI experts. Phew, we made it through that, guys. Let's give ourselves a round of applause was the first case in which somebody was convicted of a murder with nobody in the state of Connecticut. And they call this Corpus Delicious. No, not delicious. Corpus Delicti is what that's called. Um, and in a Huffington Post article, Joel Cohen, which he's a director, producer, director, one of those. Uh, he admitted that the wood chipper uh, scene in Fargo is directly inspired by the murder of Hella Crafts. So back to Richard. Earliest release is August 2021, which is in just a couple of months, actually. He'll be 84 years old. So let's Keith mail this shit and like keep him in prison. And I think he will. Uh, it's pretty infamous now and like where's he gonna go he's 84 years old and at this point just like just wait it out like you're gonna die soon anyway so just fucking finish your years there uh, and that's the story of the murder of Hella Crafts which was um inspired the at least parts of the movie, of the movie Fargo, which you guys should check out because it's a good movie. And, um, yeah, so I hope you enjoyed this. Um, again, if you want to write in 
and have a story read or just have comments or I don't know, just want to fucking bullshit with me, that's fine. Email is ofmonstersandcrime at gmail.com. And thank you so much to all of my fucking loyal supporters. Like I appreciate appreciate you all so much, like more than you even know. And if you want to uh, support the podcast and become a patron, um, you can do so at uh, www.patreon.com slash of monsters and crime. Thank you to everybody who has supported me, listened, subscribed, which subscribe uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, and um, just my, I, I love you all. So um, thank you. And until next time, uh, goodbye.